You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes. And even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, hello. Welcome to the GFR show or welcome back to the GFR show. We are just getting into it from my holiday hiatus. If you haven't checked out the episode where I am interviewed for the first time on my show, that is the episode prior to this one. And today we have our classic version of really diving deep with an amazing, soulful entrepreneur and She does confess a lot of juicy stuff, and she has made a habit of doing so, and there's so much power in it. So let me ask you a question. What is your relationship to the word depression? That is a word that is thrown around a lot, and it is obviously a official diagnosis. (laughs) And it also is something that people kind of say to say, you know, if they're having a bad day or they're super sad or whatever. Well, our guest today is Wendy Y. Bailey, and she is no stranger to that word. And in fact, she was diagnosed in her early 20s with major depressive disorder. And it's been about 10 years where she has really shared openly about her journey, her journey with medication, and how transformational it's been for her. And recently, she added to her mental health challenges by adding some grief. Her mom died in January, so about six months before my mom died last year. And before that, a friend of hers died. And she talks really, candidly about her inconsolable grief. And I just found it so like, oh, it helped me exhale around my own grief journey and all the different textures and ways that it is taking over parts of my life. And really also I'm finding it to be very much in the background or underneath, kind of like a a radio station that's running by itself adjacent to everything that I'm doing along with me creating a new relationship with my mom. And so Wendy Y and I talk a lot about that. And it's so nice. It's so nice to talk with somebody who also is a grieving entrepreneur because it is, I think, an extra challenge. And so she even, you know, talks about how she handles it and and things she does to support herself. 
And um, we really dive into her story about, you know, when she was a, a single mom and dealing with her son having his own mental health diagnoses and what she really did to support herself that felt like a huge failure at first, but then she got to see really the divine design of it all. So a couple of her, you know, formal credentials here. She is the founder of Business Beyond Limits. I love the name of it. And she is a force of nature really in the coaching industry because she has this fearless approach to innovation. And she's been supporting entrepreneurs, leaders, coaches, speakers, trainers, consultants for more than 20 years. And she has clients in countries, Canada, the US, Spain, Italy, all over the place. And I love this. Her clients call her auntie or mama coach because she uses her unique blend of Southern charm, fierce wisdom, and professional coach training to guide her clients to double, triple, quadruple, and even quintuple their bottom line. (laughs) And for fun, she is a Chicago style stepper, which I think is so cool. I love dancing and she's so, it's so, she's so into it and her face lights up when she talks about it. And she's this real movie buff. So she will you'll see she shares multiple stories and kind of to make a point, she shares, you know, about like little clips from movies and quotes and stuff. So we had a blast. It was great to reconnect after many years. We met like 12 years ago. And I, I told her that there's a story that involves her that I tell a lot. So you'll hear me share about that story. Anyway, without further ado, can't wait for you to get to know Miss Wendy Y. Wendy Y, welcome to the GFR show. Thank you, Miss Lisa. I'm happy to be here. I am so excited to get to see you again. We were reminiscing before in the green room, I like to say, that we think it's been at least 10 years, 12 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. At least. I think it's closer to 12 than 10. In Anaheim, Anaheim, California. And we we all we were just (laughs) laughing because we I had this such vivid memory of taking a selfie with Wendy. Can I tell the story? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I first I, I came on and like before Wendy could even say hi, Lisa Turney, I was like, I have this story in my head that I think is you <laughs> that I've been telling for years. And I tell yeah. me it's you. And yeah. so we had lunch together. We were at a conference. We had lunch together. And then outside the restaurant, we went to go take a selfie. And believe it or not, like selfies were kind of new back then. And Wendy took it upon herself to take the selfie, which I'm crap at. So that was good. And then she looked at it and she said, oh, that's great. And I said, wait, let me see. And I looked at my face. I had the funniest look on my face. Like my eyes were closed. Like, and so we were just laughing at how, you know, when you take a selfie, you just look at yourself, make sure that, you know, you look great. This was important, right? And so everybody is okay. I know it's so funny. And so I often will tell that story in the context of like when somebody takes a selfie and I look like shit and they say it looks great. It makes me think of Wendy Y. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good memory to have. You know what I mean? We can laugh about it now. Selfies are not so novel anymore. So it's kind of like, you know, everybody takes what a hundred to get one. (laughs) Yes. I say everyone. I'm not one of those everyone. I usually take three or four and I'm done. And if we don't get it, we're not meant to get it. You know? Yeah. That's a good point. point. My daughter got a film camera and it's so fascinating just even trying to explain, like have her see the concept or feel into this idea that you take one picture and then you have to pay now it's like five bucks or something like to get the thing developed and how precious and how much more 
intentional you are, you know, with the film camera versus the phone. And uh, it just feels like such a metaphor for their experience versus our experience. It's totally different. It's totally different. My son is 32 and, you know, I see him taking a lot of video versus, you know, still photos. And, you know, he thinks Facebook is for old people. Yes. (laughs) Everybody's on Instagram, mom. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm on Instagram too. Does that mean I'm a younger person? And he just kind of looks at me like, no, you're still old. (laughs) But I mean, I'm like, no, but there's, there's a different sort of um, way of thinking about taking photographs and, and video because it's just so easy to get to it. When we were coming up, it just wasn't so, so easy. It was very novel, you know? Yeah. I really envy how, and this is going to relate to where we're going to start your story. I really envy how uninhibited they are because they grew up being photographed and videoed and like it was nothing. I aspire to that. I'm getting a lot better. I mean, when we first started using Zoom, I was all like, am I camera ready? And now I'm like, F it. You know, like I don't, (laughs) I got my lipstick right here, you know. (laughs) Yeah, lipstick on my teeth is good. Whatever Whatever. it is, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. The more you do it, the more comfortable you become at it, I think. For sure. I can remember, and I know, you know, we're getting ready to, to jump into our stories, but I can remember like 10 years ago when Facebook was saying video was going to comprise 80% of their platform, right? That was about 10 years ago. So I was like, I'm going to get into it. And I look at those videos now and I was dark in the front, light in the back. I was, you know, filming in front of blank walls and, and I was using my flip camera. Remember that? The flip camera? I do. And, uh, you know, loading it into my laptop to edit it and add, you know, captions and stuff to it. They just don't know how good they have it. It's true. I mean, we could just say that in general about everything. (laughs) Yeah, they got it good. They They got got it good. They do got it good. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to start. So I'm, I'm so excited to be here and I feel like energetically magnetized to each other recently in Facebook. Thank you, Facebook. It does have its, you know, you know, purposes. Well, you know, my mom died in May of last year and your mom died in January of last year. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So we were, I think, just gravitating <laughs> towards each other mm-hmm. to, you know, commiserate. And and so I'm actually really grateful to be having this time, this girlfriend time with you to have that be on the, you know, list of topics that we're going to discuss because um, we just- That's in a our good system, one. That's it's a good, a good one. one. And we just don't talk talk enough about grief, period. We just That's don't. Um, That's very, very true. We really don't. And as entrepreneurs, like I keep getting the grieving entrepreneur, something about the grieving entrepreneur. I don't know if I'm going to do, I'm like, haven't reserved the URL yet. So <laughs> I don't know that it's going to be like a thing, but just this idea of like how many of us are doing our thing and grieving and how the F do we do that? And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And how do we normalize that? It's really challenging. I will tell you that. And I was one of those people who said, oh, well, I've done grief coaching and I've been talking about losing my mom in therapy. I'm I'm ready. I'm good. And then when she passed away, I was like, "Okay." for the first couple of weeks, I was still in that in that mode. Right. Then from there to my sister, who had been working from home and we were caregiving for my givers for my mom in her last maybe four months. And um, she went back in the office to work and the house was so quiet and so empty. And there was such a void. I was inconsolable. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was like, this is not what I prepared for. I thought I was ready, you know. So it you deal with it differently, you know, based on how you grieve. But grief is real, especially when you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, I remember it's been 17 years ago now, almost 17 years since my father passed. Mm. And I'm the youngest of four. And my three older siblings, he passed on a Tuesday. We buried him on Saturday and they went back to work on Monday. Wow. And it took me three weeks to even open my laptop and do anything. Wow. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have a different experience when it comes to grief. And so when that happened with my mom, and I know you you were kind of going in a different direction, but when that happened with my mom, where I was so inconsolable two and a half weeks in, I went out and joined a grief support app. And today they're my family. We meet every week. We talk about everything. There's a facilitator that kind of guides our conversation and, you know, shares resources and, and we share resources with each other online and offline. That's been the best investment I made in dealing with grief. Wow. Wonderful. Wonderful. So is it all communicating within the app, like texting and stuff versus like it is, but you know, we're a small enough group. There are four of us, including the facilitator. Wow. And the app is designed for self-development, personal development, and we've all taken it offline. So we're connected to each other via social media. Now we have each other's um, cell phone numbers and we text. I've actually uh, met one of my grief group members when I travel to Houston, she lives in Houston and, you know, the other two live in Florida and Baltimore. Yeah, I think that's, that's right. But we're offline from the app. We still talk in the app and there's chat going on in a group, but we talk offline as well. So that's the beauty of, of how it can evolve, you know? Yes. That's so beautiful. And as an entrepreneur, and I'm sure you do this too, as we even we are consumers of things, I always marvel at the business of it, the business model of it. Mm-hmm. And whenever I've had clients that do any kind of support with people that are grieving, I, it's always a, an interesting challenge to find people at the time that they are in that need, you know, and you did, you found them. And that's really yeah, I wonderful. just I knew I couldn't get from inconsolable to being functional you know, <laughs> without some help. Right. Like I said, I had already done grief coaching. So I was like, yes, I'm ready. And I had already done in about four months before my mom passed, my best friend of 40 years passed as well. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. And so I did the grief coaching. I had already started the process of looking into grief coaching. And when I booked it, he had just passed. So I was there just sobbing through the whole, you know, session and everything. It was a, it was a short lived thing. And if I had to do it over again, I think I would want to do something that was more successional rather than, you know, 90 minutes here and then 45 minutes there, which is how the the coach had structured it. Because I think that it takes time to move from grief to functionality, you know, that's where you are. But um, I'm glad I did it because it put me in touch with my feelings about losing someone I care about. So, you know, when I, I went back to my therapist after the grief coaching, we just continued some of the, the grief coaching, but it was really more grief therapy. 
leading up to my mom's passing. So again, I thought I was ready until the house was just so empty. And, you know, just as a backstory, about 11 years ago, I got really sick and I lived in Atlanta for almost 40 years. Right. And when I got really sick, my mom was like, you need to come home and get yourself together and then you can move back if that's what you need to do. So I put all of my stuff in storage. So there was a feeling of loss for that. And then I moved back into the house that I grew up in with my mom and my sister. So we're talking three grown women in the house together. Oh, my goodness gracious. (laughs) I can't even tell you that. That's another level of spiritual evolution. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it was traumatic for me, you know, on so many levels. But, you know, after a couple of years, I kind of stopped fighting it and started Mm -hmm. saying, why am I here? You know, why am I here? What What's really the purpose of me being here? And I knew, you know, on that surface level, it was for me to get well and whole so that I could move back into a self-sufficient kind of space and, and functionality. But I wasn't moving fast enough for me. So I kept kind of going, why am I here? And I realized about two years in that I was here to forge a different kind of relationship with my mom. Like we weren't estranged or anything, but there was stuff that came up when I moved back into the house I grew up in with my mom that came up. And I thought, I thought I dealt with that in therapy. Why is that showing its ugly head right now? You know, so it was for me to create a different kind of bond with her before she made her transition. And so that's that's what I came to accept. Yeah. And it changed our relationship as well. I don't think your mom was like this, but my mom would do some, throw some zingers at me. Like she would say something. I remember when she was first getting to a point where she couldn't get up and prepare her own breakfast. I'm a night owl. I'm very nocturnal. So I might not go to sleep until 3 or 4 a.m. That's on Eastern time. And about 10 or 11, one morning, I went to her and said, so what do you want, you know, for breakfast? Because I knew she needed me to do that for her. She said, well, you know, sick people have eaten breakfast and they're ready to eat lunch by now. And I was like, loving daughter, loving daughter. You know, this is me talking to myself, loving daughter. Okay, I understand that. But tell me what you want to eat and, and I'll make sure you get it. So those zingers, as I called them, I had to view them in a different way to be able to support her and to be able to bond with her in the way that it was really meant for me to bond with her. Like I've kind of gone off on a tangent, but no, it's all good. It's, It's all on course. It's all on course. It's perfect. So thank you for sharing so beautifully about that. And it's wonderful that you were able to shift into a different gear of like seeing the the bigger purpose for why you were there. And yeah. I'm so glad you had that time with your mom. Um, I am too, because I got to tell you, if I hadn't had that time, I would feel a little differently about losing her. You know what I mean? About her transition. I would feel a greater sense of loss about her. There were things that, you know, she would, if you sat in the room with her long enough and there was no TV, she would tell stories about growing up in the country with my grandmother and my grandmother's, I want to say it was like 12 or 13 of them, sibling and my great grandmother, right? And she told me once that 
here's how she told the story. Because they were in the country, the school only went to a certain grade. And I want to say it was like the sixth grade, right? And if you wanted more education beyond that, you had to have the money to catch the bus to go into the next largest city and finish, you know, through 12th grade. And the people who did that, that I know as my distant cousins did that, and they became educators, right, in the school system. And she said that she wanted to be a home economics teacher. And I was like, wow, I never knew that. But let me just paint a picture for you, Lisa. Food was my mom's love language. That's (laughs) what I say. She cooked, she created, she did catering, she cooked dinner for families. That wasn't her main job, if you will. It was what she did because she loved to create and she loved being around food. And like, if I would feel sad, she would say, you want something to eat? You know, know, food doesn't do all of that. But that was how she approached things. You want something to eat? But the way that I feel like the way God worked it out for her, she didn't become a home economics teacher. But look at all of the things she did by feeding people. She was a nutrition manager at an elementary school for 30 something years. Wow. Yeah. And she, you know, that spawned her catering and every holiday, Thanksgiving and Christmas, she would make this spread and cousins would come by and eat and take a plate and and she would send whole dinners to people in the neighborhood. So she didn't become a home economics teacher, but look at what she did that was so compatible with what she really wanted to do, you know, but those kind of stories I wouldn't have heard about if I wasn't like present with what was going on between us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you. Bravo to you. So I feel like probably we're going to hear more about what was going on for you when you did have to, when you chose to move home. Where do you feel like you want to start your story that I think you said was high school that you felt like your senior year, that's right. Senior year of high school was when you like feel like the beginnings of like who you are today and what you're doing today started to emerge. So tell us about that. In your junior and senior year of high school, that's when the guidance counselors start talking to you and (laughs) find out what your interests are and all that kind of stuff. And my interest back then is is kind of funny for me to think about it now. I said, I either want to be a psychologist or a marketing consultant. Like I had no idea what a marketing marketing consultant, but but I was like, yeah, that's what I want to be. But, you know, to look at where I am today, that's exactly what I do (laughs) as a business and sales coach. I do psychology to some degree and I do marketing, you know, and consulting and coaching to, to a greater degree. So I don't know what I thought. She was very wise. (laughs) I I don't know what I I thought was going to happen when I said that, but I was like, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to be. And then I graduated from high school and went to business school. So thank you, God, for guiding me and directing me to to do what I have done because they really have brought me here for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's no way I knew what a marketing consultant did, but it it was what I did <laughs> to the guidance counselor that I wanted to do psychology and marketing consultant. And here I am. That's really funny. It, it kind of reminds me of like my daughter had this obsession with Hawaii when she was little, like two, three, four. And you're like, where the freak did that 
You've known, yeah. you know, what do you know from Hawaii? Yeah. What you saw them do the hula on Sesame street? Like, <laughs> where is this? And she was obsessed, obsessed with going to Hawaii. So I definitely believe in, you know, past lives and, you know, other, you too. know, energetic yeah. things that inform us. So you definitely were, <laughs> you were definitely well, I have no idea where it came from, but it was on the money. Yeah, on the money, wherever it came from, it was on the money. And, you know, I'm also one of those people, Lisa, that from even from high school, not just from college, they show you you hear people and see people in, in memes that say success looks like this straight ramp up trajectory. Right. But realistically, it's sort of like this wiggly up and down, round and round. And that's really kind of how I got here. Right. It wasn't the straight ramp up. Like I didn't go to college for four years and graduate. I went to college for five years and didn't graduate, worked full time, worked part time, part time first. Then I worked full time because work became important to me because I wanted to create a life. So work became the priority and not school. And, you know, I went out and continued to work full time. I did a lot of different things. I won't go into all of them because they're all kind of interesting, but I did a lot of different things. I met my son's father. I had him. And when he was about eight years old, I went back to school and finished my degree. Wow. And, good for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been that w- wiggly, wiggly up and down, round and round path to get to where I, I am today. It's not a straight shot. It has not been a straight shot. And if people are telling you, oh, this is the the path and this is what you've got to do to get there, follow your own guidance, because I'm telling you, it doesn't look that way for most people. I totally agree. And I mean, that's what these stories on the show are mostly about. I stopped calling it unconventional because I don't really believe there is a conventional. I stopped calling it abnormal because I don't really they're believe all, there is a normal. Yeah, they, they're all unconventional. Yeah. <laughs> and those of us that are really, really meant to serve others and help them transform, we got stories. We got yes, trauma. We, we got struggle. It's just that is the truth. That um, is the truth. Yeah. But it's from those stories. The cool thing is, it's from those stories that we're able to serve other people. Absolutely. I serve my clients through those stories. I also am a big movie buff. So I'm always drawing from some line in a movie and saying, remember when this happened on that movie? And, you know, let me tell you what it really meant. And how does that look? Even if they haven't seen the movie, oftentimes it lands really well as a great example. You know what I mean? Totally. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So you, you know, we opened up talking really openly about you know, our mental health as it, as it pertains to grief and you're no stranger to really getting real about your mental health. And, and obviously you have now strengthened the, I need to get help muscle because you're like, all right, I need a grief support group. Like you're just, I need to coach. Like you're just so right there. So um, I imagine though, it wasn't always that way. Can you share with us sort of like the beginning of getting real about your mental health? I started struggling with my mental health and was aware of it when I was in my late teens, early 20s. And back then, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder, but it took a while. You know what I mean? When I say it took a while, I just knew that I needed somebody to talk to initially. So first, I sought out therapy. Then after I sought out therapy and I worked with a couple of different therapists, 
what became really, really clear to me was maybe there was more going on. And it happened to be in sync with my son at the age of four being diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Oh, wow. And most people don't know that that has um, a real emotional component to it. You know, there's this emotional overwhelm that, you know, at four years old, he would just break down and he would just be screaming or climbing or it's like this motor was running and he had no control over it. Then if there was something that we could do to get him to sit still to learn, then that's what we had to do. Some of that was medication. Some of that was play therapy for him. But at the same time, my need to be on something other than just therapy to support myself became apparent. That's when I started taking medication for major depressive disorder. So all of that happening at once. And at the time I was a single mom. So it was just the two of us and he was sick wow. and I was sick. And, you know, I needed to know how to parent him in a different way. And, you know, based on where we were, medication helped both of us, you know, and then I was able to, to practice being more self-aware and pay attention to what was happening with my body. Back then, he was four. I still drank alcohol back then, right? Okay. And I was like, oh, if I, if I just have a margarita and I was a fish, let me just be clear. I was a fish. I like to drink. I like the taste of it. I like wine. I like beer. I like whiskey. I like liquor. I like light liquor, dark liquor. I, I love to drink. But I wasn't abusive with it. I just enjoyed it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it became clear when he got to be about eight years old that I could not drink and take antidepressants. Because what most people don't know is major depressive disorder is sort of the, the category that the mental health community gives when they don't know exactly what's caused the depression. It's not some trauma, some tragedy, some substance abuse. It really is a chemical imbalance in the brain. And the doctors have to find the right chemical cocktail to support. It's not the same for everyone, right? But doctors have to find that right combination to support the person. So it became clear to me that I couldn't get to that right combination if I was drinking because it's a natural depressant. Alcohol is a natural depressant. So I stopped drinking. My son got the help he needed through um, almost all of his his uh, school years. And, you know, I've been in and out of therapy since then. And I got to tell you, it is the best decision I ever made to, to get the support. And it's not been with the same therapist the whole time. I just feel like it's the best decision I've ever made to be able to talk to someone to help me process what I'm thinking, how I'm feeling, you know, situations and circumstances. It really has been healing. And helped me to evolve to be the person I am today. One of the things, and I'll, I'll say this and, and then I'll pause, but one of the things I appreciate about being in my grief group in particular, I'm the oldest of all of the other people in the group. I don't know that I've ever said that out loud <laughs> about anything I've done. But the, the beauty of that is I see some things in them that they don't see. And my coach training has taught me how to invite them to see what I see so that they can heal and be better and feel whole. And in turn, it's helped me to feel whole as well. So it's it's a good experience when you are able to see yourself in others and support them and serve them in, in a way. 
you know, through whatever you're you're dealing with. So mental illness is real for me, you know. And uh, when I got sick, I shared this a few minutes ago, when I got sick and had to put all of my furniture in storage, my psychiatrist at that time had changed me from the medication, the chemical cocktail that I had been on for so many years, because there was a tendency they had found in research that it would cause heart problems. Oh, And so she was trying to find the right combination. And in doing that, I was bouncing up and down, in and out of depression, in and out. And I just got to a point where I couldn't function anymore. So that's when I put everything in storage and moved to the house with my mom to the house I grew up in. So courageous, really, to do that. And even more courageous, knowing that you were suffering so terribly at the time to make that decision to to go home, to go home, to, yeah. Was that hard? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> hard is, does, is an understatement, Lisa. Hard is an understatement. First of all, you know, being the, the self-sufficient person that I had been, for so many years, like almost 40 years at that point, it felt like a tremendous failure for me to have to do that, to have to make that decision. And then to move in the, in the house where I grew up. And let me tell you, when I left here, I was packed three weeks ahead of time. Three weeks ahead of time, I was packed to go off to college. I was like, I got to get out of here. I'm going to be ready. Nothing is going to stop me from leaving when it's time for me to go, you know. So to have to come back into the house was like, oh, what have yeah. I done? Yeah. No way. It, it felt like a backward move, right? Right, right. Yeah. 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 It just, it felt like failure, overwhelming failure. But once I, I sort of um, moved through some of the challenges of being in, in that situation, I found myself, again, you know, bonding with my mom in a different way. I found myself um, learning what I really enjoyed and, and taking the time to really enjoy those things. I also got clear, like you would not believe I got such clarity about my business. Mm. It helped me to gain the financial traction that I had worked for so many years off and on, you know, I achieved it a few times, but then I would, something would happen and I would fall off of that financial success. But being in a space where I didn't have to worry, so my mom didn't charge me rent. Right. right. You weren't so worrying it, about survival. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that gave me the freedom to build a business that I'm very proud of today. You know, it took me a minute to get into that, but seven years later, Seven years later, I feel like that foundation that I had always needed, it challenged me to, to view my body of work in a different way. I have a visual associated with that. I have a certification program associated with my body of work. You know, it, it really helped me to gain clarity about systems and operations within my own business so that I can teach other coaches how to do that as well. It helped me to put down some some grounding so that I could build my business and my life in a different way, right? It it just it made such a difference for me. Again, it was traumatic at first. I felt like such a failure, but from that failure came all of the roses that I'm enjoying today. Yes, that's such a wonderful story to share and I'm I'm sure 
since you are so beautiful about sharing your story, I'm sure you share, you know, that often because it was such a turning point for you. And so many times as coaches, we come across people that are, you know, in that survival mode, you know, and really just need to go get a job or something for a little while just to be able to think straight and, and be out of that fight or flight mode. And it is, it's, it's, it, we do view, we do view it as a failure. So it's wonderful that you had that opportunity, you know, you had a place to go and you had that opportunity. Yeah. It turned into gratitude. The trauma and tragedy that I felt initially really turned into gratitude over time. It really, it really has. Yeah. It says so much about you and your healing, you know, your journey. Yeah. Your evolution. Absolutely. How did your journey with your mental health and your habit of getting help impact your son in his learning about life? You know, how, how did, how do you feel like it's impacted him being able to, to really witness your process? I think it modeled a lot for him in terms of life. A few years ago, he actually went and got certified as a life coach as well. <laughs> um, you know, he's not really using it in the same way, like he's not in practice and coaching people. But what I've seen him do is use it in his life and with his friends. He's a um, he just recently got promoted. He's a regional manager of a CBD chain of stores. He okay. used to be, a, a, you know, a manager of a store. Right. And because of the, the laws in traffic for customers coming in, there's a little sitting area in the store where he was. And I would go sometimes and I would sit with him and that would be my, my me time with my son. Right. I call him my nice. offspring, my only offspring. But <laughs> I'm going to use that one with my daughter, my only yeah, child, <laughs> my favorite offspring. You're the, you're the only offspring I love, you know, anyway, <laughs> but what I saw him do is when people would come in, his way of selling was very, uh, consultative, right? They would come in and he would say, oh, what brings you in today? And they would talk about, the customer would talk about their pain. And he would say, are you in some pain now? And he'd say, let me, let me give you this. And there was a water-soluble version of the CBD. He would give them a, a little bit of that. He would keep talking about the health benefits of CBD. So, you know, I saw him putting into practice life coaching to sell, if that makes sense, not not anything in a good way, you know what I mean, in a good way, making sure he understood what people needed so that he could direct them to that. I'm, I'm reminded, here's my movie story, I'm reminded of the original Miracle on 34th Street, the black and white that they colorized years later, and yeah. there's Santa Claus that comes into the picture and he's at Macy's, but he's sending people to Gimbel's because Gimbel's has what they're looking for because Macy's has sold out of it. And initially the management was like, what are they doing? You know, what is he doing? Sending people to Gimbel's, our biggest competitor. And then uh, Mr. Macy was like, but you know what? We're seen as the, the people who care for our customers, and it's not just about what they're going to spend with us. So they put together this catalog, and they were able to say, oh, you remember the, the story, right? Yep. That's kind of how I see my son selling and serving. <laughs> it's more service than it is selling. You know, he wasn't saying, oh, well, this is the highest price product that they can buy. He would say, what do they really need? Let me make sure they get what they need. And as a result, he was like a stellar salesperson 
across the chain. And that's how he ended up getting promoted to the, the regional manager of the CBD stores chain. I think that I've modeled behavior for him. Like he he still gets mad at me about stuff. Don't don't misunderstand. But we're we're very close. We talk through things. We work through whatever it is. And I know that I've paved the way for that. Last story. My my sister, my oldest sister, has a son who is exactly almost three years older than my son. And so they grew up together, you know, kind of knowing each other really well as cousins. And I remember we were sitting, the three of us were sitting in the dining room at my mom's house. And um, we were talking about something that had happened. I don't remember exactly what it was. And I said, well, you know, Philip, why don't you talk to your mom and tell her so-and-so, such-and-such? And And he looked at me, it's like, no, Mass has a different mom than I do. (laughs) Like you might be able to hear that, but my mom is not going to hear that. So, you know, we all laughed about it because she's not the same kind of mom that I am. But it's so funny to me that I have that relationship with him. And he is, I challenge him sometimes, my son, sometimes because I see him as the smartest one in the room that he's in. And what's the adage? If you're the smartest one in the room, you're the in the wrong room. I'm ready for him to be in some other rooms because he's proven that he's a leader among his friends. He's proven that he is, you know, the 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 wise one among his friends. Now it's time for he, him to get some wisdom from some other people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I love, you know, we spend so much time as parents kind of I I do. I'm like, okay, I know I'm doing a lot of good for my kid, you know. Mm-hmm. But of course, we're, you know, fucking them up somehow, you know. Yeah, and yeah. and I just love though getting to see how like the things that we worry about them you know our lives impacting theirs in a negative way is such a gift to them you know seeing how those things are a gift to them and how your son probably got promoted because you know his life coach certification that he got from you know modeling you and exactly um, yeah yeah exactly and he manages we used to call it when i was in corporate america managing upward yeah, so he, he does a really good job of managing his manager and his manager's manager, who is the owner of the, the chain. Yeah. And uh, sometimes when we talk, he tells me stories and then he tells me about, you know, something outlandish that happened. And then he tells me how he handled it. And I go in my mind, I go, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll You're pat like, myself on the back on that one. That. Yes. Yeah. Pat myself for, on the back for, for so I have a question that's like I'm I'm excited about asking you because I think this is really going to help me and my listeners, which is how do you now, as a person like a vital living a vital life, as somebody who is diagnosed with you know depressive disorder and on medication and and then adding like layers of your grief to you know all of that, as a grieving entrepreneur, how do you manage that? What do you put in place for yourself? Yeah. What do you do to care for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. It's one that I've had to ask myself, you know what I mean? Like here I am having a grief wave. What do I do? Right. Yeah. The the biggest thing I'll say is to, to give myself the space to experience the grief wave when it hits. Right. And not trying to fight it. What about if it's inconvenient? You've still got to give yourself the space, whatever that looks like. Let me let me give you a couple of examples. It's been a year ago and a couple of weeks 
and some change, right? Since my mom passed. And I told you initially, I was like, oh, you know, I did grief coaching and I did been talking about it in therapy. I'm really good, wrong. And, you know, when I was inconsolable, I had to step back from some of my business activities. So one of the things that I did was I let my tribe know that I was stepping back for a minute, right? And I let my tribe know that when I came back, I was going to interact with the paying clients first, and then I would interact with the rest of my tribe, so to speak, right? So communicating that was big. It didn't mean that... I was getting out of bed every day. It was it meant that I had told people I need this time, I need this space, and it's okay for me not to get out of bed today. Right. That's what that meant. So communicating was was big. Then for the the clients who were paying clients, I knew that I I sort of owed them additional support. And what I found was when I came back and and started really, you know, stepping into to working with them again, they were, they were gracious you know they they were like supportive are you ready or do you feel like you're ready and you know take your time and over the year i've had some inconvenient grief waves and as long as i communicated it i found that clients were like i get it you know is there anything i can do you know i also practiced extreme self care when those grief waves hit i still do it today cuz they're they still hit you know what I mean? You you can't plan for them and say, oh, it's been a year. I'm done with the grief waves. You know, they still come. And so for me, it's it's just that communication piece of it and doing what I can. There have been times when I could only get one thing a day accomplished, just one thing accomplished. And I did that one thing and was like, yes, I did it. That's all I can do today. But yes, I did that one thing. And then there have been days when I could do 12 things, right? And I've been like, okay, I can do 12 today. You know, I never will forget my very first coach, Alicia Smith, who was the disc ninja. Uh, She retired several years ago. But I used to really want to play when I was first in my business, right? I had worked for so long in corporate America that I was like, oh my gosh, I can play. I'm free. (laughs) And, you know, it's like, no, but you still got a roof over your head that you got to take care of. You got this child that is looking to you because he was about 10 when um, I was voted off the island. That's what I like to say from (laughs) of corporate America. Yeah. Yeah. She was like, okay, here's here's a strategy I want you to use. And I still use it today. And it helps with that inconvenient grief as well. She said, what I want you to do is I want you to set a timer for 30 minutes. And for 30 minutes, I want you to make an intentional effort to get things done. And if after 30 minutes, you still want to go play, go play. But if after 30 minutes, you're rocking and rolling and you're chugging and churning, then keep going. And I still use that gauge to guide me. You know, if I'm feeling emotional, overwhelmed, okay, I'm not going to be able to do this today. And I will tell you, I, you know, I think you'll get a chuckle out of it. When I got the invitation to come on your your podcast and I got the link for that that application, I had to do it in pieces. Mm-hmm. I had to do it in pieces because I was like, OK, 
They just asked me another hard question. I don't think I got space for a hard question right now. So it took me, I, I think I did it in like three or four different pieces, right? I did the first part, which, and, and it's a very thought-provoking questionnaire that you take people through. I know. I tell my guests, I said, don't try to delegate this to your assistant. No, no. And, and they ain't going to know your GFR moment. <laughs> yeah, no. And and it, it was, it was so thought provoking for me that I just couldn't sit down and do it all in one fell swoop. I had to take my time because I did find myself feeling emotionally overwhelmed with some of the questions that really made me dig in, in deeply and get some thought back to it. But because of that strategy, my very first coach gave me, I know that I can pause it, walk away, do some other things, go to another day and come back. It took me about 10 days, 12 days to complete it. But that's kind of how I approach everything. And given that that grief can be so inconvenient, it's making sure that I'm in touch with wherever I am in the moment so I know what I can do and what I can't do and how to challenge myself to get more self-care uh, if that's what I need or if I need to go ahead and get something done because it just needs to be done. Yeah. Have you found your uh, extreme self-care and your uh, financial aspirations to be at odds? And if so, how do you deal with that? I don't think it's at odds because what I found for me, extreme self-care is I'm a big streamer. Like I stream almost everything. I rarely watch live TV. And um, yeah, yeah. My daughter doesn't even know what live TV is. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing though. Yeah. Yeah. Thing, She's like, know? wait, it, everybody sits down at the time that what? Like she doesn't even understand. <laughs> Why do people do that when they can just stream whatever? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But for me, knowing, especially with the pandemic, when the pandemic happened and, you know, we were forced to be indoors, I just subscribed to all the streaming services. I don't have all of them like I did, but that was my investment in my self-care was making sure I could watch whatever I wanted to watch whenever I wanted to watch it. Right. And, you know, in terms of beyond that, I've traveled right? I have danced. I'm a Chicago-style stepper, which is um, like a slow choreographed swing. Mm. And I've been doing that for about 13, 14 years. Fun. Yeah, for about 14 years, something like that. So I found a way to do all of those things. And I've had to sort of reel myself in because it's like all of your clothes can't be for you to dance in. <laughs> You, know, you, just, you, you gotta buy some everyday clothes you gotta buy some you know so it, it's it's me sort of saying oh that's cute I look good in that dance and no you got enough dance clothes so from a financial perspective it's sort of me having that come to Jesus talk with myself about what makes sense yeah financially yeah. versus just what I want I love everything you're sharing and I want to ask the question a little bit differently to be more revealing of where my struggle is, which is, which, you know, I, I did take uh, five weeks off and I didn't ask you, you know, how much time you took off. You said, it's going to be a minute to your clients. Well, for me, like my, I like, I needed to like, you know, okay, I'm taking five weeks and like figure all that out. And so I did do that. And it was a hard decision. And I did worry about money because, but out of habit, not out of any real sort of like hardship that was going to happen. It was just, you know, sort of the ego habitual 
reaction to why wow, you're taking five weeks off. What about, you know? Yeah. So I did, I did take five weeks off and it was hugely helpful. And my clients, like you said, were amazing and understanding. And I still know that there is still a judgment that I put upon myself and still story that I tell myself even though I'm great at it, I don't basically work on Fridays and Mondays and I take, you know, one week. Every, I mean, I, I'm great at it. And right. Yeah, so I feel like when we're, built. yeah, when we're called to do it at a higher level, like, I just feel like I'm being called, like be even fucking better at it. And if there's a tinge of guilt, get no tinges of guilt, or, you know, I feel like there's always areas of mastery that we're being invited to all the time. And so what I'm hearing for you is that it's not even in the conversation, you know, that it's, this is not about, well, I have a certain business financial business goal and, and, and y'all we're going to get to this in this final few minutes here. Wendy Y is a kick-ass coach and her whole thing is about helping people be more profitable and increase their profits as coach, as a coach. So I love that. That's what you do. And I also love that you clearly do not have a very much of a huge story around them being juxtaposed. There is, there is no uh, extreme self-care is at the detriment to, you know, the growth and health of my business. And I'm so grateful that you're doing the work that you're doing, that you're so fucking transparent about therapies and, and I'm on medication and it's so beautiful and so wonderful. And, you know, more of us need to be real about that to make it normal because it is fucking normal. It is. And so I, I wanted to like reveal that that's, you know, something that I still am transforming and evolving into and being called to because grief is now part of my life. I clearly hear from you that there is no trade-off that it is. This is, this is it. This is, this is what needs to happen. And end the story. safety instructions. Yes, exactly. You know, put the mask on yourself first so that you can serve people. A life-changing, what, what is it Dr. Phil calls that a defining moment mm-hmm. for me in my life was after I had been in my uh, coaching business for about two years and I was introduced to Rhonda Britton and Fearless Living. Yes, she's been, been a guest on the show. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that I, I still practice today is being intentional versus living in regret. Like she doesn't put it exactly like that, but that was sort of my translation of the work that she started in Fearless Living, right? And so if you're intentional, then there's no room for you to feel guilty about something that you do or don't do. It means you think about it as much as you can before enduring so that you don't have the regret around it, right? And her book, and I don't know if you've read it, but her book basically is sort of like, if you're feeling regret, then you need to name it. And it's more likely than not something associated with fear. You know what I mean? So yeah. when you understand how fear shows up in your world, then you can show up to to counter fear in ways that are productive and constructive and healthy and helpful, not just for you, but the people around you. That was such a defining moment for me when I read and studied Fearless Living. I went to her institute and, you know, took more classes. I became a fear buster group leader. I led people in Fearless Living. So for me, it was it was life changing to the point that today I still credit my ability to, to be in intention 
based on that book. And that ah. yeah, just just life changing for me. And I will tell you this this last story. When I came back to the marketplace and I rebranded, I told you it's been about seven years ago, I was coming out of a deep depression where I was finally on the right cocktail, right? I went to a new doctor and she was like, oh, here are all the medications you've taken. Let's try this old generation med. And I got to tell you, I just started to soar and there was no wiggly, 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 wiggly. It was just like sore, sore. But I had never, ever, Lisa, shared that I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. I was too afraid. And there was this organization that used to host Blabs. You remember Blab? The mm-hmm. platform Blab. So yes. they Blab. And there was this guest that they had who was coming on to talk about how she kept this deep, dark secret for a long time. And then she finally decided to share it. Based on sharing it, she built an empire in her business because she finally decided to share her deep, dark secret. And I always forget her last name, but it's Christy something. And the story, her story is that when she was in her 20s, she contracted herpes. And so she had to to live with that and she didn't talk about it. And it was a shame, a, a point of shame for her. And I felt the same way about depression at that point. And so I asked her a question at the end of, you know, her story and everything. And I said, you know, when did you know it was time for you to share in transparency that you had herpes and what that meant? She said something I will never forget. When your desire to heal is greater than your fear, then it's time for you to share. I was like, wow. Wow. After that, I started sharing it. I shared on stages. I shared here because I've seen what it does for other people when I share it. It's a a depth of Brene Brown's vulnerability that you, you can't come to easily and readily alone without someone there to to shine the light for you. So I kind of see myself as the person who shines the light for others to kind of see that vulnerability that I have so that they can have their own. You are that person. Thank you. You really are that person. And your smile is gorgeous. And thank you for being you, Wendy Y. And I now I know why your clients call you mama coach. I could yeah. totally feel auntie. <laughs> auntie. I could totally feel that from you. And I really want to thank you for being you, for shining your light and for being vulnerable and transparent. And I am honored to be on the entrepreneur, grieving entrepreneur journey with you. Yeah. I is there a it does get better, yeah. Lisa? Yeah. Okay. I think it does get better. Yeah. With I intention. feel like it's it's different. I definitely am feeling like I could feel they're not like clean cut phases, but I definitely feel like, okay, I'm shifting into a different gear or a different phase or a different relationship with my mom. Yeah. It's, it's quite textured and uh, yeah. Yeah. Lovely, isn't it? It's, it's, it's really lovely and interesting. And, you know, my mom said on her deathbed, as I am transitioning, so are you. Mm-hmm. And I, Mama Phyllis was smart. Mama Phyllis was smart. She well used to done. say, she used to say, you know, I'm not just a pretty face. <laughs> every, time, <laughs> every time she said it, I would crack up. Every time yeah. she said it, I'd crack up. So uh, your mom, she done good with you, girl, for sure. Thank and you. I'm so grateful to be in your orbit. Thank you. 
Thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. All right. Give us your final favorite movie quote. Ooh, um, I'll try to make it short because you, as you can tell, I like telling stories. There's a quote from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And the, the short gist of the movie is it's the one with Sean Connery as his father. And his father is, is an anthropologist as well and has spent his life trying to track the Holy Grail, which is the cup that Christ drank from in the in the Lord's Supper, right? And um, the last Lord, Lord's Supper, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, the last and there's this scene in the movie where his father gets shot by the villain and he has to walk through the things that lead him to the Holy Grail. And one of the things that he has to have is uh, take a leap of faith. And in the movie, he has to see a place to cross over this deep cavernous place that he can't see. So it's a leap of faith. And when he finally takes it, there is a ledge there that catches him. So for me, the take the leap of faith is really what I encourage everyone to do. Make sure you understand what that faith looks like, and then you can take the leap and you'll find yourself landing in that soft place as well. Ah, I love it. Thank you, Andy Y. Thank you, Lisa, for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure, honey. Oh my gosh, that was so super fun. You've got to go get her free gift, which is the top 10 coaching success secrets. What you need to know now to build a highly profitable, productive, and sustainable coaching business. And I'll tell you, she is a great teacher and there's a lot of really good stuff in this freebie. So link in the show notes below or wherever you're listening or watching, um, you'll find a link so you can connect with Wendy Y. And also hop on over to join us for the GFR squad and you will get to enjoy her expertise when she teaches how to go from rookie to authority quickly. So we have a $20 a month cancel anytime membership where we get together once a month on Zoom and a couple other really fun goodies like getting some swag in the mail. And part of the benefits is a bonus teaching lesson, I guess you call it, from each of our guests. So this is Wendy's segment. And if you're a member of the squad, go over there now, check that out. And if you're not a member, I would love for you to be a member. I'd love to hang out with you, get to know you. You could be on the front row of my own GFR process. (laughs) And uh, it's a really great group. I would love to have you over there and subscribe to the show if you haven't yet, if you're new to us, so you don't miss any of these juicy transformational stories that help us know that, you know what, we're just all normal on our own journey to serve in a higher way. All right. Bye-bye for now, y'all.